Welcome to the Future of Supply Chain, where each episode we'll sit down with entrepreneurs, investors, and industry veterans to discuss innovation, technology, and the most exciting opportunities in trucking and logistics as we build the future of supply chain together. Be sure to head over to podcast.dynamo.vc to keep up to date with our latest content or subscribe on the podcast platform of your choice. Now, let's get into the show. Here's our host, Santosh Sankar. Hey, ladies and gents, welcome back to the Future Supply Chain Podcast. I'm Santosh Sankar, your host. And with me today is Ricardo Salgado of LoadSmart. Ricardo, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Really happy to be part of this. Yeah, I uh, I have been looking forward to this uh, conversation for a while. I think um, when we were first introduced back in 2016 to now, you you've done a lot of interesting things with the team, and you know would would love to tap into your your experience and and mind share here. But would love to start with your personal story. How in the world did you get into the freight brokerage business of all things? <laughs> great, uh, great question. Uh, so for background purposes, I'm actually an engineer by training from uh, Georgia Tech. I was always passionate about technology and pushing the boundaries of innovation. Uh, I worked at a technology startup right out of university. Uh, then through actually the first internet bubble, uh, the tech company that I was working with actually failed. Uh, which surprisingly was one of my best learning experiences in my career. Uh, you know, I, I learned a lot uh, from that. And then uh, I got the opportunity to work at a financial institution called Goldman Sachs. Uh, it was a great <laughs> opportunity to move to New York. Yeah, it was, I'd never been to New York in my life. Uh, I remember when I interviewed, uh, I uh, flew into New York and I called my dad and I said, Dad, did you know that Manhattan is an island? And he obviously laughed and it was pretty funny uh, at the time. And now I've resided in New York for 13 years, uh, for, uh, which is an interesting about this city that I've lived the most uh, time uh, at in, actually. But fast forward after 10 years uh, across. Uh, so during my finance years, I spent 10, over 10 years across New York. London, Sao Paulo, Brazil, and I grew up investing uh, the firm's capital, including a focus on transportation investments and technology investments. And I realized that there was a huge opportunity in digitizing uh, the freight brokerage uh, business. Uh, the industry is huge. It was fragmented. And the, the technology uh, lagged a bit of what we were seeing on the consumer side. So I decided to go back to my engineering and entrepreneurship routes and, and start LoadSmart. That's awesome. And, 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 if I could ask you, you you've been through a cycle. You've been through a couple cycles. It sounds like. What was a major takeaway from your very first experience in the startup world that you still carry with you today, and that you know founders listening should should be thinking about or at least be aware of? Yeah. No. Absolutely. I think that, you know during the first uh, cycle. It was, uh, at the time, you know, I was 21 years old, uh, literally graduating from university, and you think that you can go out there and, and, and do everything and, and change the world. And very from, you know, that technology and that engineering and software development, we're just going to, you know, build, you know, this code at the time. We did not have AWS, so, you know, all that stack was uh, very expensive and infrastructure to, to build it. So now uh, that has changed and that allows us to move, move much uh, quicker. But I think if there was one thing... It was that uh, I learned to appreciate uh, the importance of design uh, 
and sales or distribution. Mm-hmm. And if you think about, uh, you know, uh, you know, any startup is like a three-legged stool where you, in order for it to work, you really need engineering, you need design, and you need sales or distribution. And many people are very, that are very tech or, you know, engineering-led uh, sometimes forget about the importance of the distribution side. So you can build the best product, the best, you know, from an engineering perspective, uh, but if no one uh, really adopts it or looks at it, uh, or if you can't distribute it via sales, like no matter how good your product is, no one's going to use it. By the same token, if you have a great uh, sales distribution plan and go-to-market strategy, but the engineering doesn't work, then once they look under the hood, uh, they're not really going to buy it. And once again, if the design is not there, I think that, you know, we all look to Steve Jobs of how obsessed he was with design and how successful was Apple. That, you know, that's like the first, that's the front, that's what people see first. So people first need to be sold and the product needs to be distributed. Then people look at it in the outside of it. And then they're, and so that's where the UX and design comes into play. And then they look under the hood and see like, hey, is the engineering really, really powerful? So I think that those three elements, I gain a lot of respect for design and engineering and, and, and sales that I did not have uh, before. So anything that I approach today, and that, that includes with, with LoadSmart, was really making sure that those three elements are as key and as, uh, and as important. So for anybody uh, listening, I think that that's really key and you need to uh, look into those uh, things. I love that. I love that. So to dig into LoadSmart, uh, in in broad strokes, LoadSmart is a venture-backed digital freight brokerage. Um, but would you be able to tell us a little more uh, ab- about LoadSmart, uh, what's differentiating you, and what that journey's been like in, in founding and building this business? Yeah, absolutely. So um, we are a digital freight broker. We lead with, uh, with technology. We knew there was an opportunity to digitize freight brokerage since day one. So the journey was like, oh, there's a, the, the industry is huge. It's super fragmented. The technology lags. And, and we realized that it was similar to how uh, stocks used to trade at large stock exchanges, such as the New York Stock Exchange, and how that shifted from the outcry trading where human beings would yell at each other to trade those stocks to an electronic trading format in the early 2000s. So we realized that similar to what we saw, what we what we've seen in 1999, 2000, 2001, uh, something that, you know, could happen here and that, and the ability to adapt to this uh, uh, format. So as a result of that, we, 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 we built first an engineering team. So we lead with, uh, with technology which leads you into your second question, which is what, what differentiates us? Well, 45% of our team are engineers and data scientists, and we're obsessed about automating full truckload uh, shipping. So this enables us to lead with technology, which uh, allows us to unlock or open up strategic partnerships that accelerate our mission to move more with less. And an example of that is, uh, for instance, our, we were the first ones to build instant pricing and booking nationwide uh, on the full truckload side of it. So think about how you book a flight on Expedia. Uh, if you want to go from Atlanta to New York, you click a button and you get a price immediately. Well, that's very easy to do in, uh, in, in, in that format because the supply of airlines, five airlines control more than 50% of the market. 
and you can have an API that connects and provides that pricing and that inventory. Well, on the filled truckload side of the world, you 90% of carriers have six trucks or less, so they do not have <laughs> APIs that can give you access to that exactly to that inventory. So that fragmentation is really, really, really you know, it, it's real, and that's the opportunity. So how we solved it was, you know, with data science, and once again, that's why we have 45% of our team are engineers and, and data scientists. So we're the first ones to do that instant pricing and booking programmatically. You could do it on the front end, just like you book a flight on Expedia, but we're also the first to put an API together where uh, enterprise clients can consume it and not just book one, one shipment, but they can book hundreds, thousands. They can just book and, and access that type of, uh, out of that, that capacity. And, so and, that type of technology has been... And uh, are you able to do both spot and contract needs uh, in yeah. the full truckload world? Yes, uh, so absolutely. We do both of them. We, when we were born, we focused primarily on the spot side of it because we wanted to optimize those models. So we've been collecting data for a long time. Uh, that data powers those models, right? And it gets more sophisticated. It has learner models. So we, uh, our biggest assets are our people, our customers, and our reputation. And uh, reputation takes years to build. Actually, this is another one about those things that I learned in, in that first cycle is, you know, your reputation takes you know, years to build and you can lose it in a second. Mm -hmm. We have 100% retention of our enterprise clients. So how we wow. do that is that you have to make sure that you delight them with the technology and that you service them well and they're impressed, right? So with that, uh, if, if you basically commit to a price and then don't honor it via contract, you will lose the client. So as a result of that, we've been, we first started with Spot where if, for instance, our pricing was wrong, we would take the loss and not lose the client, and that's why we have 100% retention of our clients. Uh, and as our models became more sophisticated, then we started also getting more and more into that contracted business. Got it. No, that's uh, great context and, and, and background. And I had no idea that uh, you had such a strong uh, engineering and, and data presence, but it makes a lot of sense uh, based on the product you've built. Yeah. And that's important, right? Because think about it. Once we provide nationwide capacity and you're providing a price immediately, if you're wrong, you want to, you want to make sure that you feel the pain and you will because, you know, you'll, you'll incur a loss. And then you're, you need to make sure that your engineering team is ready and that data science model is ready to go out there and adopt and iterate through that. So that's why, you know, we've been able to do that. But on the differentiators, which I think is important, that has, uh, that has been able, allowed us to build great technology and that has been able to allow us or enabled us to unlock or open important strategic partnerships such as, you know, for instance, Merck just co-led our, uh, our latest round of funding. Mm -hmm. And for us, those type of partners, you know, are important because, as an example, they control over 20% of ocean container uh, containers go on their vessels. So that type of, you know, two-way collaboration can uh, and is actually very uh, powerful. Another one is Oak Tree is, uh, we have a strategic partnership with them, uh, and they own some of the largest ports in the United States, 30% of containers coming in out of, of their uh, ports. So having being able to impress with technology and being able to uh, also work with strategic partners that can help you add value to customers and be very customer focused and centric through that and powered by your technology 
is something that's really, really important. But we can only do it because we have that engineering DNA. So that's why I always say we lead with technology. Yep. No, totally makes sense. Totally makes sense. I I want to take a look at the industry and and, and get some of your perspectives um, for uh, our listeners. You know, uh, it it's become common or more common knowledge rather that trucking is inefficient. You know, high fragment, high levels of fragmentation, and uh, the, this concept of the freight broker first appeared. You know, post World War II. Um, in a highly regulated environment, it was really hard to get capacity and move freight across state lines. But uh, when we look at the more recent past, uh, in, in my personal opinion, the, the last major industry change uh, in trucking and related brokerage activities uh, was in uh, the early 1980s, right, when the industry was deregulated and it was easier to move freight across state lines. That's when brokerage really ramped. Um, Where are we today? Uh, Are we in the midst of the next major change? And we're sitting about 40 years removed from uh, from the 1980s deregulation moment. Um, And are we now in this shift that is not a regulatory shift, but a technology shift when it comes to trucking and freight? Yeah, uh, absolutely. I think that obviously, you know, in the early 80s when the industry was deregulated, it opened up, you know, uh, to, you know, that, as you said, that freight brokerage to really ramp up. And and you saw some, you know, new incumbent typical freight brokers. In addition, I mean, C.H. Robinson has been around since 1905 or it was founded in 1905, right? But if you look at, you know, uh, I mean, TQL was, you know, in the 90s. And then uh, if you look at Coyote and Echo, it really happened in the in the 2000s. And, you know, and, X, you know, XBO. Uh, so those are relatively, you know, younger uh, breeds of that freight brokerage industry. But the technology that you had back then is just very different than the technology that you have today. Mm-hmm. And also the adoption. I think that adoption is something that's really important. Everybody talks about, oh, we have the best technology. You can have the best technology, but if the if if human beings are not ready to adopt it, it won't be adopted. And then yeah, your technology is great, but no one is is using is using it. So if you think about it, you know, today we're 2018. I mean, yeah, you know, the iPhone really came out in 20, uh, 20, 2008, 10 years ago, and GPS capabilities came out in 2009. Like, that's not that long ago. Yeah. When you think about, you know, broadband and, you know, we're in 4G and now we're going to 5G, like, if you think out 10 years ago, like, Uber cannot exist the way it exists today because you didn't have the GPS capability. And Netflix couldn't exist the way it exists today because you didn't have the bandwidth to support that video streaming format given how much you consume. Like I read the other day that between YouTube and Netflix, they're able to, in peak time, they consume up to a third of bandwidth of broadband, which is something that is insane when, when you think about that, that two companies are able to consume all of that. But today we have the infrastructure to do things differently. So it's unfair to say like, hey, why has it taken too long? Well, today we do have, you know, better infrastructure. Uh, you know, today 98% of truck drivers have smartphones. If you asked me that question eight years ago, only 25% of them have uh, a, a smartphone. So you're starting to see some adoption. So I do see that there's definitely an opportunity to, to we are in that paradigm shift where we can move into that uh, technology side and, and you're starting to see 
some of that uh, some of that adoption. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it is uh, certainly interesting to see that now that the digital infrastructure exists, uh, how this is pushing the the freight uh, world, like you're saying. Um, I I look at the supply chain in in two major layers. Uh, in in most supply chain activities, there's an asset layer and there's a service layer. And, and this concept of customer service, taking care of your customers, something that's come up um, repeatedly um, in this conversation so far. And we've seen that technology has entered, you know, as early as the 1950s to help bridge the asset and the service closer and closer together. And you've had the advent of WMS systems and distribution, TMS uh, systems in trucking and transportation, and now you have this new digital freight brokerage or even freight forwarding in the international space. And as I think about brokerage, I've broken my thoughts up into three phases. So uh, the first phase being companies that are established that look like the status quo, right? Tend to be people heavy, a lot of brokers sitting in a room. Uh, with phones and spreadsheets and pencil paper facts. And then phase two is this tech-enabled world where a lot of these brokers realize that they can implement certain technologies and enable their service much better. And then lastly is more of a tech-driven world. Uh, and, and, and this is that holy grail where people say, hey, you could just go online somewhere and find a truck and get your freight on it. And it's as simple as that. And I feel like it's going to happen in three phases. What are your thoughts? Are we in this early round of this tech enablement? Or do you think we're much later uh, in this digitization shift? We'd love to kind of hear your thoughts on, 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 on my uh, three-phase framework. Yeah. Yeah, no, uh, you know, absolutely. You know, I, I, I read uh, Jeff Bezos' uh, you know, uh, yearly letter last year uh i'm sorry this year that came out this year and uh, you know he quoted there that we're we're literally still at the beginning and i agree with that we're still at the beginning but look how much it's all about perspective right like in our perspective you would think that a you know today look at what amazon's doing and it's pretty impressive what they've been able to to do in a very uh short period of time and uh, but but in somebody's own perspective, you know, their own perspective, it's like they're still at the at the beginning. You know, from from our perspective specifically to the to the industry, uh, I would categorize like the freight, the tech enabled freight brokers that you saw in 2006 at Coyote, and also Echo was part of that that breed where you know they were bringing some technology. And it's just the technology that we have today is very different than the technology we had 10 years ago. In fact, the technology that we have today is very different than the technology we have two years ago, right? Mm-hmm. So you're starting to see that 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 infrastructure and that shift helps us, you know, move in that uh, in that direction. I think that you know, uh, human beings are creatures of old habits, and as a result of that, for instance, uh, uh, what we're trying to solve here is a data aggregation problem. So you have all these shippers that have all this data, you know, where they go, their lanes, their prices. And you have all these carriers or trucking companies that have all this data, where their assets are, where they want to go, when are they empty, their drivers. But there's no, like, no one has been able to aggregate all that data. And in order to get to that stage three that you're outlined, like full of all automation, 
you really have to aggregate all that data and there has to be trust. So right now the, the data is super fragmented. No one really owns it or controls it. But once somebody figures out, and that's why we obsess about building that trust and we have 100% retention of our enterprise client, of how can we actually grab that data, make sense of that data, so it's a win-win situation for, for everybody, for the shippers, for the carriers, for us, for absolutely. How can we you know, add value where you have you know, better pricing for the shippers, better servicing for the, for the shippers, nationwide capacity? How can you get the carriers home? How can you get the driver home on time? But it's not, why, why does he have to be on the road three weeks out of four and, and have this turnover of 100% per year. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're able to, and how you solve all those, uh, those challenges are, you know, with that data. And if you are able to aggregate all that data and really be able to manage or rebalance your grid in a cost effective commercial way, then you really move into that, into that, that, that third phase that you're outlining where it's like fully, uh, uh, automated. I think that we're still far away from that just because getting access to that data or building that trust I, th- I don't think that human beings are ready uh, there yet, although we have some large enterprise clients that share all of their data with us. So we're optimistic that we're, uh, that we're starting to see uh, a little bit uh, of that, but we're still uh, far away uh, from that. Does that answer your question? Yeah, yeah. No, that, that's great. And, and I, I really appreciate you providing uh, context as to what are the things that need to happen in order to get to this phase three end state that we all, um, you know, dream about. Um, but thinking, yeah. and I'm starting to see it. Yeah. I'm, I'm starting to see it. Like I'm starting to see, I'm more optimistic. Like if you told me, I mean, you know, five years ago, you know, I remember we had certain clients that started paying us with a credit card and I like at the pure beginning of Lodesmart, we only accepted a credit card. So then, you know, it was surprising for me to see somebody like book, $50,000 of freight on their credit card. And that's, you know, but, but, you know, yeah, that was like, you know, surprising because, you know, when, you know, 10 years ago, you would have never put your credit card, much less with like book 50,000, you know? So I see that, uh, that shift, obviously enterprise accounts don't pay you with a credit card. You have certain terms to go through that, but I see that these uh, shippers or leaders are starting to wake up and really understand the importance of technology and the, they don't adapt it or observe it or think about it, they're going to be left behind. Uh, and we're seeing that across all organizations. We're saying like if you lead with technology and you show them some technology and the power of it, they do want to uh, 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 talk to you. Uh, yeah. And I think that, so that makes me optimistic that there is, that they are willing to at least listen. Uh, the adoption is slower than, than we would like, like just because human beings are creatures of old habit. But I, I am optimistic that I, it is moving in the, in the right direction. Yeah. And, um, you know, thinking about the actual transaction here, um, the the one thing you just mentioned is when, when shippers and carriers are able to see the benefits, they, they start to mobilize. Um, how, how does one take something that is um, very non-standard, right? Uh, on the surface, to somebody who's not familiar with trucking, it might feel like one trailer is no different than the other, one load is really no different than the other, but really shipper preferences can drive a lot of differences in the way that freight is handled, in the way that customer service is executed upon. How have you guys at LoadSmart 
thought about that because uh, uh, this is uh, not a homogenous world by any means. And, and are there certain things in your product that help reduce that friction and, and provide that streamlined experience? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I would say it's definitely not homogeneous. Uh, it's more heterogeneous, and you see different, you know, different standards. But it's not like each one is completely different. It's not like you know, the, the, like human beings or like their DNAs are just very different. No, there are certain standards. Certain clients, you know, have certain characteristics. Uh, so you can bucket them, and you can apply the eighty twenty rule. And in addition to that, you have, you know, data science that have learner models that start, you know, being able to learn about the client. And actually, even before the client hops on your platform, you already have some insight on them. So that can be on the carrier side. It can be uh, on, on the shipper side. So let me be specific on the, on the shipper. So you have certain clients that for servicing purposes, they care more of on-time pickup. Uh, some others prefer more or really focus on on-time delivery. Others really focus on certain communication. Others focus on uh, real-time tracking. Others, so, and, and some of them are a hybrid of all these things. For billing, it's the same thing. Each one has a very different, you know, billing, you know, uh, experience. But what they all have in common is that they all want instant pricing. They want it fast, and they want to make sure that it moves from pickup to delivery, uh, and that it gets there in a reliable fashion where there's uh, where there's trust. So you apply that uh, 80-20 rule, and then you have everybody uh, covered, and then you leave everything else to you know data science to basically adopt and learn and know. That's for the shipper. On the carrier side, it's very similar, and then you start seeing which carriers. I mean, you know, even before a carrier is signed up on your platform, you know where their headquarters, you know where they like to go, you know what type of trailers they have, you know, you're able to get a sense uh, of them before they join you. And that allows you to be much more targeted in, in terms of what they, in terms of your, or in terms of your matching the loads that you have with the right carriers moving in the right direction at the right time. And if you're able to do that, then you have a loyal customer because they don't want to be over notified. They just want you. We'll rather reach you when we have something relevant and we'll rather talk to you less times, but with a relevant match then just like, you know, over notify you and then, you know, you get annoyed and then you just, you know, leave the platform. So yeah. for us, we obsess about making sure that, that that person has the right uh the right experience and we're able to learn like does he wanna does he have permits to haul uh, alcohol as an example. There's twelve states that require that. If that person does not, then you know, we, we already know that, you know, he can't. Uh, does that person have certain amount of insurance that, you know, is it a hundred or is it $250,000 or is it 500,000? And then, you know, all those come into play uh, and, and more automated. So to, to make a long story short, uh, the, uh, the supply on the carrier side, is easier. We have more data to be able to iterate and, and, and profile that on the demand side. We, we know how certain verticals operate depending if you're auto or if you're F&B or if you're retail. And then you apply the 80-20 rule, and then you can just adopt and, and, and adjust. And we do have, you know, standard operating procedures when we onboard an enterprise client. So we're asking them and, and, and looking at all these things, and we walk them through. And, you know, this is what you look like. This is how we would handle this. But we want to understand your pain points and understand your standard operating procedures to make sure that, you know, when we start 
that it all makes sense and uh, it is seamless. And maybe we can add uh, some suggestions to address some of your historical uh, pain points. Yeah. And uh, so a lot of it sounds like uh, going back to your uh, previous uh, explanation around how focused you are on the engineering and the data competencies is putting in the legwork to, to understand the customer, to capture that data, to standardize that data, and you're able to uh, very much then develop the personas around certain carrier profiles as well as shipper profiles uh, based on industry, um, all in the name of reducing friction, improving customer service and experience. Exactly. You know, it's all about the customer, right? And you have to, I mean, you're, each individual has been a customer about multiple, you know, services. So you put yourself in their shoes and really like get close to them and understand their pain points and, and solve them and yeah. don't over notify them, understand them better than anybody. There's a lot of data that allows you to do that and service them and delight them, get them home at the right time, with the right direction, with the right paying shipment, reduce your empty uh, empty, you know, haulage time, your, your deadheads. Mm-hmm. And if you're really obsessed on that and power it by data, you'll be surprised on, on, on what you could do. Yeah. So, uh, focusing on, on data here, right? Um, the, the ELD mandate, um, that, that came in to play and is in effect, uh, has been able to, in a very uniform close to real time way, light up all the trucks or a significant um, part of the asset base in the industry. So now we're just broadly seeing, you know, higher resolution data in order to make decisions on. Are are you doing anything interesting with ELDs or related to ELD data at, at LoadSmart? Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely getting access to, uh, I mean, the, the pre-ELD, uh, you've had, less than 25% of carriers having, you know, some type of free management solution or a digital type of uh, solution. And then post that allows you to obviously have location uh, data and engine diagnostic data and obviously everything that's required for ELD. So that additional intelligence does allow you to have some better visibility. Having said that, you know, just having a GPS location on where you're currently at is not the silver bullet. Like, Having real-time location is one thing, uh, but in in but but knowing where that vehicle is going to be in three days and where that vehicle wants to go mm-hmm. is uh, is as or more desired than than that. You can, if somebody tells you where you're currently at, uh, that might help you. You know, if you have an urgent shipment right now, and then you can overlay some predictive analytics on where it's likely that person wants to go or that asset or that truck wants to go but you know remember most of the time these contracts these uh, trucks are either dedicated or they're contracted at you know at least 80 percent of the time so knowing where that availability is is actually more important where they want to go or where they're going to be in two days and where they want to go at that point in time is more is more important but once again having that intelligence is not it, it will take it and it does uh, we do take it and it does help there's just other things that are more powerful uh than that or that this requires some complementary features for it to really really scale and be powerful yeah and um i might dub that capacity uh related intelligence right understanding if uh the uh trailer is full or empty what the vector 
uh, of movement it is on. So you're able to then forward forecast and make a decision based on that. Um, but does that actually lend the new era of digital brokers an advantage over the legacy players? Because Absolutely. you're able to, to actually understand your supply base for once. Absolutely. So, yeah, I mean, this also helps you understand some better pricing, some, some supply demand, right? So think about it from your pricing model, that if you're able to know where the supply base is and if it's empty or full and where it is, you'll become more accurate on, you know, some of your pricing models. Mm -hmm. uh, because historically, you might get some load-to-truck ratios or you'll get, obviously, where you transacted before historically, but having, you know, a real-time bird's-eye view, including, you know, where you're empty and where you're full, uh, definitely gives you better accurate numbers for where that supply base is, which can help you on your pricing models uh, for the demand. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, that's one thing. Then sourcing is another thing, right? Now, uh, you know, theoretically, before you price it, we have our instant pricing and booking tool. And the second thing is now you need to source it. And that's where the other, you know, the sourcing side of it uh, comes into play. And for searching perspectives, remember, it's not where you are right now, but it's where you want to go. And out three days to call it, you know, five days, that is uh, something that's really, really important. But we haven't seen the, the holistic ELDs do that whole, like, I'm not just doing the ELD, but I'm doing also the whole fleet management side in an integrated way mm -hmm. where that would be the dream. That's like the next stage. Yeah. Yeah. No, totally, totally get that. Uh, and the nice thing is that, that there's a lot of opportunity then. So for, for entrepreneurial folks, founders listening, this is a great opportunity that's, that's sitting in front of us where we're only in the early days of lighting up these trucks. There, there's a lot more to be done here in order to provide value um, to the broader ecosystem. Right. So you know, traditionally incumbent brokers transact around 15% gross margins. And the interesting thing about technology is that you can make things uh, quicker, faster, easier, and cheaper by using technology in really interesting ways. As an industry, do you think that digital brokers are on a path where they make um, this much more cost-effective, but ultimately they're able to retain more profit? And would that actually take market share from folks who are you know, unable to compete? They continue to transact at 15%, whereas technology can provide a cost benefit um, to their customers and ultimately retain their business. Because as you've said repeatedly through all this, this is a customer-centric business. The customer is what matters. They need to be satisfied with service. And a piece of service is also the cost related to moving freight from point A to point B. Yep. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Uh, I think that, you know, when you leverage technology in a scalable way, uh, then you, you have, uh, you're able to pass on some of the cost savings to your ultimate client, like some typical, you know, online retail companies that we all, uh, know about. So I'll give you an example. You know, we have a client that, uh, saw that we were doing instant pricing programmatically. They, this is over two years ago. 
they came in and said, we would like to consume this programmatically. And we said, yeah, absolutely. So they would send you a CSV uh, at 1 p.m. with 200 to 600 loads to be priced per day. And then they would expect everybody to respond by 2 p.m. And then uh, they would uh, basically award uh, at 4 p.m. Mm-hmm. Well, when we go out there and we, the first time we participated in this, well, we responded very quickly. And everybody, so think about us responding in two minutes, the world responding, you know, one minute before it's due. And then we get a call back immediately asking us, how did we price this? How many people do we have? How did we price this so quickly? <laughs> And, and yeah, and it's like, well, it was not human beings. It was, you know, we have this model that allows us to price it and make it more scalable. And so that, that's an example that when you, you know, when you have, you know, when you and, and we gave them nationwide capacity. And then six months later, they're asking us, how many like people do you have assigned to our accounts? And we're doing nationwide uh, movements. And we're like, we have two. And they're like, what? How on earth? Only two? And like to cover all this? And it's like, yeah, well, we leverage it with uh, technology mm-hmm. to really power us and to be able to do all these things. So the benefits is that when you have more automation and you don't have an army of human beings to go out there and, and do some of these, some of these basic mundane tasks, then, uh, then you can pass on some of those costs and benefits yeah. to the ultimate client. Yeah. Now I'm not saying that you're going to like eliminate all people and everybody's going to be automated. No, no, no. That's not what we're, we're not there yet. I think that, you know, th- th- this is very different than requesting a, a, a lift, you know, where you have a driver and you have lift and you have a driver and rider relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, out of, I don't know, 200 transactions, maybe one of them, there's an issue because you forgot as a rider, your wallet in the Lyft or the Uber. Uh, but so, so this is much more complex. You know, you have a yep. driver, you have a dispatcher, you have a shipper, you have a pickup warehouse manager, you have drop off warehouse manager, you have appointment setting. So this is much more complicated and more things happen, go wrong here than, you know, in a typical, uh, Uber or Lyft uh, transaction. So I'm not saying that you're going to remove, you know, the, the, the human beings, but there's definitely some uh, transformational things that you can do to really make it, you know, smoother and faster and more automated and more programmatic. And you can pass on some of these cost savings for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So as venture capital has entered the industry, we've, we've come to notice that um, some of it has gone to subsidizing margin. Uh, for the sake of capturing market share. What is your opinion on this? How long is this sustainable? How does this shake out? Um, because you are speaking you know, in, in fundamental terms. You have this understanding of how technology needs to be used to develop the fundamentals of the business. But do you have an opinion on the industry as a whole and where venture capital might lead us to? Because for some, it's hey, I'm not sure whether this is going to be able to continue three, four, five years and perhaps through a recession between now and then as well. Yeah, I mean, we're not in the business of grabbing venture capital and subsidizing, you know, our shippers. Uh, I think that, 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 that in a transactional business, to be honest, or even in a contracted, uh, you know, structured, yearly contracted business, uh, because we believe that uh, that's something that just is not sustainable uh, over the long run. So we believe that if you're going to subsidize, you know, a shipper, 
by giving them negative gross margins and uh, by you having negative gross margins. Uh, if you if it was a five year contract and you subsidize year one, I think that's fine. You can go out there and do it because uh, uh, the client acquisition cost and the lifetime value of that you know whole package works out and the economics makes sense. But if you're going to subsidize him in year one because you believe that in year two you're going to be able to increase prices dramatically to make it economically and commercially viable. In our industry, what we've seen is that you know it's pretty competitive that I, I haven't seen these large shippers basically be fine with like, yeah, subsidize me 15% this year and next year, you know, I'm going to pay you a 20% return. Like I, I haven't seen that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're not big uh, fans of that. And I think that, you know, that's not the, yeah, that's not what we, what we enjoy and what we, we think is the right, uh, the right uh, approach. And eventually, you know, the industry is so large uh, that in order for you to do that, you know, over with scale, it requires a massive amount of capital. Yep. Uh, and we'll re- just rather, you know, really focus on other things that add value to the client and can be also commercially viable. Yep. Yep. So, um, shifting back to something that you mentioned earlier, you, you discussed design and a big part of design, uh, comes down to understanding the behaviors and the tendencies of your end users, right? And um, the trucker is a big end user uh, in this market, in your business. How have you been able to overcome a lot of their old school tendencies and then stand apart in a world where, you know, there's 10s, 20s, 30 apps on average that promise better loads incomes, getting paid on time, reduced deadhead. How are you dealing with that? Yeah. Yeah, no, uh, absolutely. So it goes back to that, you know, being very targeted and adding value to that user. So if you're not adding value to the user, do not over notify him. Do not bother him. Right. You know, you know how many notifications, remember, I don't know, five years ago, how many notifications you got and now the notifications are just, it's just impossible, right? <laughs> so now probably we've all shifted from like, I just don't give anybody the ability to notify me because mm-hmm. it's just like, I just can't keep up with all the notifications that I used to receive. But within all these apps, if you're really only contacting me at the right time in the right direction for the right load, yeah, then I will give you access. But if you start like, you know, spamming me, forget about it. You're going to lose access to those no- no- notifications. So that's mm-hmm. number one. But I do think that there is definitely a need for like nobody wants to open 10 apps. I mean, when you look at, uh, yeah, you don't want to, it's just not, not for the same, like I'm finding using Uber for, you know, requesting a car and then using, opening up Airbnb to request, you know, an apartment for a vacation rental and then opening up my weather uh, app for, for weather information. But I'm not finding like opening up like five different, you know, trends. like that's just, you know, uh, a lot. Now, having said that, I will say that, you know, our target uh, market is not only the owner operator, which is the one that you're outlining, which does have that mobile app, but our target is really the fleet. And the fleet in the United States is a big chunk of the market of the, of the drivers out there. So we'll have an informational a driver app as well, and we'll have a load app, right? The load app is for that owner-operator where, where uh, he or she is a decision-maker on that load. 
And the driver information app is one where it's just informational as they want to upload their proof of delivery once they uh, arrive at the underlying location or for them to see, for instance, the detention that they're going to be awarded during that period of time once that geofencing at pickup or at delivery actually happens, uh, et cetera. But if you look at our core uh, user or target on the supply side, it's actually the fleet. And the fleet is a dispatcher that resides in an office. And mm-hmm. that office is in a web uh, portal or web format. And that as well is more targeted. So you just have to make sure that you optimize you know, your technology to make sure that it's relevant for that uh, individual. And that's once again why we meet with technology and 45% of our team are engineers and data scientists to be able to do that. Yeah. So, you know, uh, closing out here, um, your, your latest round was led by Maersk, and I thought it was super interesting because uh, that partnership and relationship with LoadSmart, in my mind, was this example of the convergence of players across modalities and points in the supply chain. Is this a new normal? Are we going to see more integrated experiences across land, air, ocean? Are we cross-pollinating best practices, innovation concepts, and technologies? What are your thoughts around that? Yeah, uh, absolutely. Once again, there's a long journey uh, there. I wish we can, because it's all about adoption. Uh, but I think that in Utopia, you do have something that is centralized, like human beings should not be going to five different systems to see how things, you know, move. So once you get one consolidated, you know, location where you can do even incident reporting and you can see the whole journey across the supply chain, that is going to be much more powerful. And right now all that is still relatively very fragmented and the different legs or stages don't talk to each other uh, very well, but I do see a shift in that direction. And as supply chain is not local, but global, that's why for us, you know, having those strategic partnerships is important. So we did not have, you know, the ocean side of it before. Now being able to have some intelligence uh, and collaboration to add value with a focus item to add value to the customer and have more of that intermodal, I think that that makes complete sense. It's really, really, uh, really powerful. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And, and I think... Uh, in in the manner in the manner we are progressing, I think within our lifetimes we'll be able to see more of a uniform experience. Whether it's a single player yeah. or a partnership of players, I, I do tend to agree. We we can get, at least get closer to that utopia. Um, but hey, R- Ricardo, this has been a great conversation. Really appreciated uh, the conversations around. Uh, you know, data, design, understanding your, your end customers, uh, the industry perspective. Um, and uh, with that, um, appreciate you joining us and hopefully can can have you uh, again uh, on the future supply chain. Cheers. Anytime. Thank you very much for having me and congratulations on all the success. And we're always pretty open and, and willing to help. So uh, thank you. And it's It's really fun. Have a great day. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a five-star review and tell us what you liked. And be sure to head over to podcast.dynamo.vc to keep up to date with our latest content or subscribe on the podcast platform of your choice. Until next time.